This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. Can something bad really be good? Or are we just using bad to mean silly? Where does a classic like Rocky Horror Picture Show fit into this scheme? How do you know whether your appearance in a Sharknado movie bodes well or ill for your career? Back in 2014, I talked with co-hosts Stephen Thompson and Glenn Weldon and our pal, writer Chris Klimek, about what was then a two-part series of movies about sharks and weather. Were we ever so young that there were only two Sharknado movies? We were. And from there, we went on to talk about the idea of a thing that's so bad it's good. We're revisiting this discussion almost 10 years later because the question of questionable pleasures is one that never goes out of style. I'm Linda Holmes, and in this encore episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour from deep in the vault, we're talking about things that are so bad, they're good. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Don't know if you've heard, but the latest workplace trend is currently sneaking up on your business. What is it? Could be anything. The great cubicle comeback, maybe a global bagel shortage. Dealing with anything is what ADP does best, something they've been doing for over 70 years. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions so businesses are ready for the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Planning a party or honoring a recent grad? Whatever the celebration, Whole Foods Market can make things easy, starting with some delicious marinated steaks, always antibiotic and hormone-free. Simple and easy eats are ready in the prepared foods department. And for dessert, how about a luscious berry chantilly cake? Not in the mood to cook? Their catering menu offers festive options ready to order online at shop.wfm.com. Start every celebration at Whole Foods Market. Do you wish stories could unfold over three hours rather than three minutes? You tired of doom scrolling, trying to find humanity, or maybe a deeper understanding of why the world is the way it is? Listen to Embedded, NPR's original documentary series. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. This past week brought the continuation of a, a major, very important cultural and artistic phenomenon, Sharknado. When Stephen and I were talking about whether we were going to watch Sharknado 2, <laughs> he said, I didn't see the first one. <laughs> and I said, you will probably be able to keep up right. with, uh, with Sharknado 2. And it, she ended up being wrong. I was completely confused. <laughs> yeah. As I said when I first reviewed the original Sharknado, this discussion of this movie will contain spoilers that will surprise you if you have not read the title of the movie. <laughs> so Sharknado... Sharknado is about a tornado of sharks. Yeah. And Sharknado 2... Well, because Sharknado 1 was so successful, and successful is in air quotes right, and scare sure. quotes and defined largely through social media presence, Sharknado mm-hmm. 2 featured lots of cameos. You had your Kelly Osbourne and Perez your Hilton. Will Wheaton and your Perez Hilton and your uh, guy, from, Dick. guy from Shark Tank, Andy Dick, <laughs> Richard Kind. Downtown Julie Brown. Downtown Julie Brown. They became, they became frankly, very distracting. Billy Ray Cyrus. Uh. Billy Ray Cyrus, who, who diagnosed uh, Tara Reid with an achy-breaky pancreas, I believe. Oh, okay. Not really. These things are supposed to give you that thrill 
bill of recognition where it's like, I'm yeah. smart. I know who that is. Yeah. But what happens is there are so many of them that you assume that anyone who yeah. says anything <laughs> is somebody. And if is. I don't recognize them, I feel like a dope. Mm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Sharknado made me feel stupid. Sharknado yeah. too smart. Yes. <laughs> I think there is little doubt that Sharknado 2, and let's face it, even Sharknado 1, took advantage of the sort of so bad it's good phenomenon, which yes. a lot of people enjoy by sitting around in a crowd, whether it be a real crowd or a virtual crowd, and talking about how stupid the movie is. I know that that is what Stephen and I did. It is what I did on Twitter with the first one. It is what I did when I watched Deadly Spa on Lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> Deadly Spa. It's just such a, a good title. It's about a spa, but it's deadly. Yeah. Deadly Spa. Um, I was going to say, you you were talking about Deadly Spa without saying, Deadly Spa. <laughs> anyway. Didn't even know what you were talking about. So we were going to talk about this uh, So Bad It's Good. Are you a believer, Glenn, in So Bad It's Good? Well, can I drop a little historical context on you? I was hoping you would. Sure. Uh, where does this phenomenon come from? It's not something that happened, you know, back in the, in the early part of the century. Nobody was actually sitting around watching things and reveling in how bad they were. In 1964, Susan Sontag published an essay in Partisan Review called Notes on Camp, in which she tried to, not define, because she refused to define it. It's just a long essay consisting of 58 numbered prose passages of various length, where she tries to approximate, tries to get up to what camp is. Because at the time, camp was something that gay dudes did, and the literary elite did, and that was it. But that essay became a literary sensation, and it filtered down through the mass media in a way, and it came to be associated, even though the the actual definition of camp or the actual evocation of camp is much more nuanced than this. What I started to see when I was doing reading about uh, the Batman television series in magazines and newspapers at the time is that this word camp was all over the place in the mid-60s because of this essay, and it was applied to everything. Mm-hmm. But it became associated as with the phenomenon of, of so bad it's good. And in mm-hmm. fact, in 1966, there was this phenomenon where people watched old Batman serials, marathons, midnight shows, just to make fun of them, which was a thing we didn't used to do, and now all of a sudden we were doing. So... Because that word was so out there in the mainstream at the time, when the Batman television series started, it became synonymous with the concept of campy, even though I would argue, and elsewhere I do, argue <laughs> that it's not, uh, it's, it doesn't really fit campiness. You can't say that the Batman television series is so bad it's good because they, they dumped millions of dollars into that. And what it was doing, it was doing very intentionally. But the idea of so bad it's good is something happens that is so bad that you enjoy it But we've talked about this a little bit before. For you to enjoy something bad, it can be anything, but it can't be boring. Yeah, I think that's right. And things like Plan 9 from Outer Space just keeps getting stupider and stupider and stupider and surprises you with its dumpth. And uh, and things like Rocky Horror Picture Show. The reason it became such a sensation is... A, the music was pretty good, but B, it, it keeps taking these weird turns was, and it gets uh, weirder yeah, gets, and weirder. That gets sillier. Yeah. yeah like but I was but I was going to ask about Rocky Horror because I wonder whether Rocky Horror is kind of a gateway drug in the sense that mm-hmm. it's it's so bad it's good, but it's also – people also legitimately kind of get into it and think that the songs are fun and oh, it's – Oh, God, yes. I mean it's – Right. It's, you, you can't put on a costume ironically. I mean you're still, yeah. you're still wearing it. Right? <laughs> it's still your body. I don't, I don't but, know if it's so bad it's good as much as right, it is no. so ridiculous that it's good, which is a – 
different thing. Well, the sensation you get from it watching it alone versus watching it in that theater mm-hmm. with everybody else. I mean, it is part of it. It's exactly what you're saying. It's part of this collective experience. And, and it, watching it alone, you just notice parts that drag, yeah. <laughs> as it were, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but watching it together it becomes this thing where you, you make the film worse than it is. So much of the humor of watching Rocky Horror is getting fake angry about how terrible this movie is, even though you're enjoying the hell out of it. Right. Yeah. And I know, I know a lot of people who would argue that they just love it. Yeah. You know, my sister has watched that movie hundreds of times and she wasn't watching it laughing at it. Right. She was dressing up as little Nell and doing what people do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think one of the interesting things about the Sharknado franchise, and now Sharknado is a franchise, mm. is the notion of ownership that often comes into the way bad movies are embraced, that cultishly bad movies are embraced the way cultishly good movies are embraced. And we've talked, we talked very recently, like in the San Diego panel, about what happens when something that you and just a few of your friends love suddenly becomes something that everybody loves and you have to let go of it a little bit. I think that happens with So Bad It's Good movies, too, where if you were one of the first people to discover the movie The Room, mm-hmm. The Room being a famously terrible, misbegotten movie that was made with the utmost sincerity and turned into this absolute train wreck. The room kind of trickled along entirely by word of mouth and eventually got these midnight screenings where people were laughing at it and and spouting dialogue along with it and everything. Whereas a movie like Sharknado, you don't have the original ownership of that movie. You don't have the original feeling like... I am the only one laughing at this. Right. Its its appeal is in the exact opposite of that. But Sharknado, right. but Sharknado both Sharknado movies are done with an intent to be bad. And that's, right. the, that's the point. And that an I, intent to be social media phenomenal. Right. And that's the point that I was going to make is that back in the very early days of Television Without Pity when I worked there, there was a woman who worked there who I remember was talking about the site once and said, it's a way of watching television but not necessarily watching it the way you want us to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very true. And I think that's what a lot of that was when it was Dawson's Creek and Felicity and stuff like that. You were watching it when you were watching it and making fun of it and taking it apart and sort of an atomic level. It was not what you what was intended. Mm-hmm. And what Stephen's saying, I think, is that when it's with the room, it's not what was intended. No. And the thing about Sharknado is it's exactly what's intended. Well, that, that's why I'm skeptical about it. I, right. I have no, not I, seen I Sharknado, you. but I mean, like, I'm still angry eight years later about Snakes on a Plane not being right. as funny as I as I wanted it to be. Right. You know, because I feel like that was kind of engineered for for ironic consumption and mockery too and like you need to have that the sincerity that Stephen talked about in the case of the room the gulf between ambition and execution has to be kind of cruelly big for it to be a true too bad it's good well and Glenn mentioned Plan 9 from Outer Space I mean if you've seen I mean, I, I love the movie Ed Wood. And so much of what that movie is about is the beauty of ambition, the beauty of sincerity, the beauty of just trying and, of course, falling wildly, madly short. That movie is this lovely celebration of that. The thing with the snakes on a plane and everything, it's taking the thing that where it went from person to person to person and just suddenly trying to throw it out there as something that everybody's going to enjoy at once. Right. And it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't work. Roger Corman churned out film after film after film just to make money. He wasn't even a craftsman per se. He was he was basically a teamster of film, just churning, churning, churning. And this idea that we now, there are people who embrace certain of his films, even though they were just made on the cheap. This idea of loving schlock, 
mm-hmm. is a thing we didn't used to do. There came a time, and I think it has something to do with how much free time we have, how much leisure time we have now, where to appreciate something, <laughs> it had to be good. This idea that we're going to take it apart and, and, and revel in how ineffectual it is. You can see the boom mic. It's a different sensibility. And I, I would argue it came about in the 60s when the uh, fresh-eyed, fresh-scrub crew-cut kids of uh, the 50s grew up into the disaffected, snot-nosed, hippy-dippy teenagers of the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, like I mean, everything you like, blame. The, 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 yeah. You know, just simple number of exposures to these things has to be a factor, too, where, you know, home video or just where you have the opportunity to see them more than once and then you start to notice the imperfections mm-hmm. that they right probably too. reasonably thought, oh, no one's going to see this, you know. I think that's right, too. Well, and you have to add to that the whole Mystery Science Theater 3000 yeah. phenomenon, which I think elevated the notion of everybody get together and laugh at how stupid this is. Yeah. I think Sharknado can be traced straight back to Right, that. but the movies that they were doing on Mystery Science Theater were not movies that were originally made to be bad. They were movies that right. were made to be B-movies, right. but they weren't made to be, this is going to be so terrible. In most cases, I'm sure there are exceptions. Sure. But, you know, when I watched those, you could kind of see what someone might once have thought they were going to pass that movie off as, like right. a like a low-rent Conan the Barbarian. Sure, yeah. Um, but then it comes off as this kind of absurd, super absurd thing. There are many, many instances of films they did on Mystery Science Theater where the film itself was boring. And that's the thing. Right. That they that's be- when it's deadly. That's when it's deadly. But that's also why you're, you're watching the show right. for, for the bots. You're watching mm-hmm. the show for the commentary. You are not watching it for the movie in any case. And, and the commentary becomes what the thing's about. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell a story. I will ask this question by telling a story. <laughs> when I was at Press Tour a couple of weeks ago, I was watching this panel for this true crime show that they were doing on Investigation Discovery, which is the Discovery offshoot that does kind of cheapo true crime shows. It was going to have like reenactments of crimes where generally the idea seemed to be that it would be a a woman who was taken in by a terrible guy who then later either killed her or something like that, reenacted by this group of like 80s and 90s actors like Christopher Knight. I mean, he's earlier than that, but Christopher Knight from the Brady Bunch and one of the girls from Baywatch and Kevin Sorbo from Hercules. And it was so cranked up cheesy, Uh the way it was shot and the way it was done. And I thought, what is this? What are they trying to do? And all of a sudden, I realized it is true crime Sharknado. This is the influence of Sharknado is what this is, is they have now figured out that anything that churns out a lot of genre, the way that sci-fi does with monster movies, and I'm not sure all of the sci-fi movies were originally designed solely to be terrible. They've certainly embraced that now. Right. But anybody who's churning out genre can decide to go in that direction and say, now we're going to make a version that's just intentionally completely ridiculous. So my question is, is Sharknado going to take over all of cheap-ass television? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's so much cheap-ass television to fill. I would guess you will be seeing a lot of attempts to recreate Sharknado. What I would piggyback on that question is there's a very fine line between actors 
who appear in Sharknado to be like, hey, it's Billy Ray Cyrus. Right. And there are actors who are in Sharknado to be acting in right. Sharknado. Right. And that is a very fine line. And I would imagine people saying, I want to be in Sharknado. But they think, like, I'm going to go on. People are going to say, hey, it's that guy, and I'm going to get my face bitten off by a shark. But then, like, the worst thing you can be is the it's star like, of right. Sharknado. You don't want to be Ian Ziering. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be Judah Friedlander. Right. You don't want to be true. You don't want to be Tara Reid. You never want to be Tara <laughs> or like Vivica A. Fox. Sure. Yeah, you that's, don't want to be Vivica A. Fox in that yeah. movie. You want to. You, no, it's true. If you if you are in Sharknado two, you want to be a cameo and not an actor. I think that's, the like, that's that what I'm saying. Making. And and I just you wonder, want to be killed quickly. I like, the I just, more quickly you're eaten, the better you're doing. I just wonder how many actors don't realize that they're on one side of that divide. <laughs> oh, sure, absolutely. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is something that, that Chris touched on. I mean, there there is so much cynicism in creating something like Sharknado. I agree. That it, it is completely intentional. There is no sincere effort there. But in this particular genre, on this particular network, I mean, I don't know if there's going to be a dream project that I've always wanted to make no, this right? movie about <laughs> right. a mutant shark. Yeah. Well, the big money, I've come to believe, the truly big money is something that can be appreciated by some people as sincere, but then has what I have referred to in the past as an irony multiplier, mm-hmm. which is the additional people that you get who are watching it ironically. Like I have a theory that High School Musical had a gigantic irony multiplier that there was a certain audience of people who were watching it completely sincerely. Right. But then it gets another entire load of people who are watching it ironically. Also that way, The Bachelorette. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Irony multiplier on The Bachelorette. Some people are like, I like The Bachelorette. Yeah. I just watch to see whether they fall in love. Mm-hmm. And other people are throwing popcorn and, yeah. you know, making gender dynamic right. uh, that breakdowns. Is, that is the sweet spot. There yeah. was a completely age-related version of that in the old Batman television series. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The kids watching it for serious and everybody else, everybody else watching it uh, because been, it was uh, funny. paying a lot of attention to the old Batman figure, series. Go figure. Yeah. 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 Funniest thing. Yeah. Funniest thing. You should write a book. Mm. Should. Someone should. Well, you should come and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. This episode was produced by Nick Fountain and Jessica Reedy. And Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Lisa, in collaboration with West Elm. Discover the new natural hybrid mattress, expertly crafted from natural latex and certified safe foams, designed with your health and the planet in mind. Visit leesa.com to learn more. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.